It's time to get up to date on the latest from Elon Musk's Twitter files on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 302 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com. Click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Now, before I get to the uh, the latest on the Twitter files, we did have a report last night. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida is asking the Florida State Supreme Court to convene a statewide a statewide grand jury to look into possible um, violations of the law by Pfizer and Moderna concerning the way the whole deal happened with the vaccines. Now, I've come across another video clip from the same press conference Governor DeSantis did yesterday. This is his Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladipo. The involvement of the pharmaceutical industry, it's an excellent one because our media has clearly demonstrated that it is impossible to report accurately on something if you're also taking money from that same something. So what these people did was, what these researchers did was they looked, they performed autopsies on individuals who died suddenly unexpectedly, without any, any known explanation, any known acute illness, within a few weeks of COVID-19 vaccination. And they published their results. And what they found was in, their, in the group of people they looked at, four out of 35 people who they looked at actually had myocarditis. And it was a type of myocarditis that was different from the typical types of myocarditis, which you can get from viruses, many different types of viruses. And specifically, it was a type of myocarditis that they attributed to mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. It is important to know that these people died at home suddenly. So all of the studies that you see about myocarditis, and Tracy raised this point, they are not included in these studies. 
because these people did not show up at hospitals or emergency departments with chest pain or shortness of breath or, or other symptoms that would lead to a diagnosis of myocarditis. These are people who are not counted in any of those estimates that the CDC likes to pretend are accurate. So we are initiating a program here in Florida where we will be studying the incidence in surveillance of myocarditis within a few weeks of COVID-19 vaccination for people who die. This is going to be a surveillance study using working with some of our medical examiners in Florida. We're also going to be working with the University of Florida. So there will be a component that has more of a research, a research form to it. But we will answer this question. It is a question that I'm sure keeps the CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna up late at night, hoping no one ever looks. But we're going to look here in Florida. All right. So there's that update. And God bless them. And I hope that their uh, their operation is successful, is fruitful. Now. Another update. I always talk to you about the Uniparty and how well most, not all, but most Republicans in Washington cooperate with the Democrats. And how when the Democrats Democrats take over, they run roughshod over the Republicans. And when the Republicans take back over, the Democrats say, well, now you got to be bipartisan. Come on, man. Give us a break. Former Speaker of the House John Boehner was back in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday to give a tribute to one of the most evil people in our nation, in the world, Nancy Pelosi, when they revealed her new portrait in the the Statuary Hall at the Capitol. And John Boehner loves her so much that he broke down in tears talking about how wonderful she is. Now, she's very much committed to destroying this country, to destroying the vision that our founders had of this country, She's doing everything she can to assist the ruling regime into destroying our prosperity. She wants to help turn us into Zimbabwe or Venezuela. But, oh, John Boehner thinks she's just wonderful. Just like that uh, clip I played for you from Lindsey Graham a while back when he's saying that Joe Biden's one of the nicest people he's ever met. If you have a problem with Joe Biden, you, you might want to check yourself. Right? You got it? I don't know if these people are compromised, they're blackmailed, or they're just that stupid. But you know what? In the final analysis, it doesn't matter, does it? John Boehner was Speaker of the House from January 2011 through October 2015 and was succeeded by Nancy Pelosi. And um, he's here to tell you what a wonderful person she is. Uh, You've been unfailingly gracious, gracious to me, to my family, and, uh, frankly, 
my team here in Washington. And, Madam Speaker, I have to say, my girls told me, tell this speaker how much we admire her. Disgusting. Pathetic. Said they couldn't tell my girls were Democrats. Interesting. Interesting. Apparently that doesn't bother. You know, she is sold out to doing whatever she can to help the baby killers, the abortion industry in this country. And he thinks she's just wonderful. And Republicans in Congress kept on voting overwhelmingly to keep him Speaker of the House. That's right. Uh, I should be more precise. Republicans in the House of Representatives, Congress includes the Senate. They, they have nothing to do with who's going to be Speaker of the House. But yeah, he was a House Majority Leader. February 06 to January 07, and then Speaker for almost four years. So that means they had to vote for him once in January of 07, and then, no, I'm sorry, they had to vote for him to be minority leader in January 07. Minority leader again, January 09, then Speaker, January 11, and then knowing what kind of job he did, Speaker again in January 13, and then again in January 2015. That's right. And so he uh, he retired in October of 2015, and Paul Ryan took his place. And then after Republicans lost the House again, then Nancy Pelosi took Paul Ryan's place. So that's how that worked out. But anyway, no excuse. No excuse. You can't tell me that he gets the overwhelming majority of the Republican vote every two years to be minority leader and then to be speaker, and they don't know what kind of guy this is. It's the uniparty. You know, a handful of handful of people vote against him, but that's the uniparty. That's what we're up against, the uniparty. Now, also, we keep on being told that people who deny the election of 2020 are their traitors and something must be done about them. Wednesday, December 14th, 2022, I guess Joe Biden becomes a traitor because he denies an election. We banned assault weapons. We had a fundamental impact on changing the way in which we passed the Brady Bill, the way we did background checks. We did a whole hell of a lot. But as my colleagues in the House I can see here will remember, in order to get it passed, I had to agree to a 10-year authorization. You know, we talk about the accidents of history. Had Al Gore... Not that, well, characterized. Had Al Gore won that election, I think he won it anyway. Had Al Gore won that election, a lot would be different. We'd still have that in place. 
and God only knows how many lives would be changed. He's speaking there to parents who lost their children at the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, Connecticut. Now, the idea that an assault weapon ban, which, by the way, did nothing to reduce violent crime rates, did nothing to reduce homicide rates in this country, the idea that that would have in any way stopped a young man from stealing his wife, his, his mother's gun, murdering his mother, and then going to elementary school and murdering children and teachers, that's pretty cynical. But you know, that's Joe Biden. And he's been pretty cynical for many, many years. So um, it's not surprising. Did you see Tucker Carlson's show um, Tuesday evening in which he interviewed Tara Reid? Now, Tara Reid, the Senate staffer, she worked in Joe Biden's office. And she has credibly accused him of sexual assault. You ought to go online and it's, it's very graphic, very specific. But you ought to go online and look up Tucker Carlson, Tara Reed. It's a T A R A. Last name is R E A D E. And uh, of course, the date December thirteenth, twenty twenty two. Because it's horrifying. And uh, like I say, it's it's very credible. In the same way that Juanita Broderick and Paula Jones were very credible about Bill Clinton. Oh, by the way, speaking of Bill Clinton, there's the irony. Bill Clinton, earlier on in his administration, had signed a bill funding uh, policemen for elementary schools. And the funding ran out. There used to be armed police at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown. So maybe if there still were, when the young man showed up with a gun, maybe he doesn't get in and get to kill people. So the irony is that it was actually a a bill signed by a Democrat president that in some sense made schools safer, but it wasn't Biden's assault weapon ban that was signed by Democrat President Bill Clinton. That didn't help anything. But Biden's a Democrat politician, and so he's going to lie about things. Well, let me rephrase that. Not all Democrat politicians lie. A lot of them do. But Biden lies a lot more than most of them. And they know that. When he was running for the Democrat Nomination for president in 88, he had to drop out in late 87 because of the plagiarism. I mean, he plagiarized a lot. And he, he got an argument with one guy in front of the TV camera about uh, 
how well he did in law school, and he just made all kinds of stuff up. And you know what? The people of Delaware were stupid enough to keep on reelecting him, and whoever his Republican opponent was the next time around apparently was stupid enough not to use it in in campaign commercials against him. Because I would think, I don't know, I might be wrong, but I would think if his Republican opponent got the word out to enough people how much of an unmitigated prevaricator he was that surely it wouldn't have been that difficult to beat him. You know? So see, he had to drop out 87. So he runs for re-election in 1990. His main opponent, M. Jane Brady, Republican, and uh, Biden gets uh, close to 63% of the vote. Well, now, how does that work? You know? Did she think, well, I better be nice now. You know, I don't want to make him out to look like a jerk. I don't tell everybody the guy lies through his teeth. I often wondered about that one because, you know, if he was such a, it was such an embarrassment, such a humiliation for him that to drop out because he just lied about everything. And I often wonder, well, how did he get reelected U.S. Senate from Delaware? It was obvious he lied, but I don't know. I guess his Republican opponent didn't, didn't take advantage of that one. Boy, she sure should have. Who knows where we will be now? Coming up, we got to do the um, the update on Elon Musk's Twitter files and how Twitter has been lying to people for years. But even more importantly, how the federal government colluded with them to violate your First Amendment rights to free speech. It's a horrible thing. All right, that's coming up straight ahead. Let me ask something. Have you tried to buy a car recently? If you have, you realize there could be such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. Now, people I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically 
so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, you know, I've been talking about how the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, where so many little guys, small business owners, regular people like you and me, were forced to close, shut down for good. The wealthiest people on earth wound up being a whole lot better off while the mom and pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? I mean, what can we do about it, for that matter? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop Factory Direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned businesses that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. Now, a whole lot of Patriot influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow Patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with the woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned Made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers who have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. All you have to do is go to SwitchToAmerica.com. When it asks how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn, put your info in there, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. SwitchToAmerica.com. All right, let's take a look at the Twitter files. In previous episodes, we got Twitter files one through three. Now it's time to take a look at Twitter files number four. Now we've had uh, Twitter files put out there already by Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss, both liberal reporters who believe in freedom of speech, so they putting it out there. Michael Schellenberger, Michael Schellenberger over Substack is a conservative reporter. He's got Twitter files part four, the removal of Donald Trump in early January of 2022. It's about to get real, y'all. So, He says, as the pressure builds, Twitter executives 
build the case for a permanent ban on Trump. On January 7th, senior Twitter executives created justification or justifications to ban Trump, seek a change of policy for Trump alone, distinct from other political leaders, express no concern for the, for the free speech or democracy implications of a ban. Uh, the Twitter files is reported, by the way, by Michael Schellenberger and Leighton Woodhouse. All right, well, I better follow this guy, Leighton Woodhouse. Let me, uh, let me check that out real quick. Follow him and put him on my list of people that I want to uh, be able to look at their, their, their news updates. Journalist and documentary filmmaker, and he's over at Substack also. So Michael Schellenberger and Leighton Woodhouse are both doing this one. He says, for those catching up, catching up, please see part one where Matt Taibbi documents how senior Twitter executives violated their own policies to prevent the spread of accurate information about Hunter Biden's laptops. Now, I went, I got all into that on episode 300, if you haven't heard it yet. He said, part two, where Barry Weiss shows how senior Twitter executives created secret blacklists to de-amplify disfavored Twitter users, not just specific tweets. And I went over that one on episode 301. He says, and part three, where Matt Taibbi documents how senior Twitter Twitter executives censored tweets by Trump in the run-up to the November 2020 election while regularly engaging with representatives of U.S. government law enforcement agencies. Now, I did that one on episode 301 also. Now, Michael Schellenberger is putting all this stuff out on Twitter on Saturday evening, December 10th. And he says, for years, Twitter had resisted calls to ban Trump. They said blocking a world leader from Twitter, they said this in 2018, blocking a world leader from Twitter would hide important information and hamper necessary discussion around their words and actions. So what changed? He said, but after the events of January 6th, the internal and external pressure on Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey grows. Former First Lady Michelle Obama. Tech journalist Kara Swisher. The Anti-Defamation League. The high-tech venture capitalist Chris Saka. And many others publicly call on Twitter to permanently ban a sitting president, Donald Trump. Dorsey was on vacation in French Polynesia the week of January 4th through the 8th, 2021. He phoned into meetings but also delegated much of the handling of the situation to senior executives Yoel Roth, Twitter's global head of trust and safety, and Vajaya Gad, head of legal policy and trust. As context, it's important to understand that Twitter's staff and senior executives were overwhelmingly progressive in 2018, 2020, and 
and 99% respectively of Twitter staff's political donations went to Democrats. In 2017, Yoel Roth tweeted that there were, quote, actual Nazis in the White House, unquote. In April 2022, Yoel Roth told a colleague that his goal is to drive change in the world, which is why he decided not to become an academic. January 7, 2021, Jack Dorsey emails employees saying Twitter needs to remain consistent in its policies, including the right of users to return to Twitter after a temporary suspension. After that, Yoel Roth reassures an employee that, quote, people who care about this aren't happy with where we are, unquote. And he's got the uh, screenshot of that. He says around 11.30 a.m. Pacific time, Thursday, January 7th, 2021, Yoel Roth sends a direct message. That's on Facebook. It'd be a private message. On Twitter, it's a DM. Yoel Roth sends a direct message his colleagues with news that he's excited to share. He writes, guess what? Jack just approved repeat offender for civic integrity. So the new approach would create a system where five violations or five strikes would result in permanent suspension. A member of Yoel Roth's trust and safety team exclaimed, Progress! The exchange between Yoel Roth and his colleagues makes clear that they had been pushing Jack Dorsey for greater restrictions on the speech Trump was allowed around elections. The colleague wants to know if the decision means Trump can finally be banned. The person asks, does the incitement to violence aspect change that calculus? Yoel Roth says it doesn't. He says Trump continues to just have his one strike. Well, of course, you see, the problem with all this is he never incited violence. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to these people, does it? No, it doesn't. Michael Schellenberger continues, Yoel Roth's colleagues query about incitement violence heavily foreshadows what will happen the following day. On January 8th, Twitter announces a permanent ban on Trump due to the, quote, risk of further incitement of violence, unquote. On January 8th, Twitter says the ban is based on specifically how Trump's tweets are being received and interpreted. But in 2019, Twitter said it did not attempt to determine all potential interpretations of the content or its intent. The only serious concern we found expressed with Twitter over the implications for free speech and democracy of banning Trump came from a junior person in the Twitter organization. It was tucked away in a lower-level Slack channel known as Site Integrity Auto. And here's the quote. This might be an unpopular opinion, but one-off ad hoc decisions like this that don't appear rooted in policy are, in my humble opinion, a slippery slope. This now appears to be a fiat by any online platform CEO with a global presence that can gatekeep speech for the entire world. Twitter employees use the term one-off 
Frequently in their Slack discussions, its frequent use reveals significant employee discretion over when and whether to apply warning labels on tweets and strikes on users. So here are typical examples, and he has a couple of screenshots. Let's see, he says, could it bounce with a strike? I don't see any scenario where we would decide not to bounce here. Just want to check if there are any concerns. Otherwise, I can bounce under RTP and close this one before I go. Uh, FYI's account for review, USA Secession. We are trying to understand the one-off decision here. Here's another one. Okay, some of it is um, redacted. It says there's always abuse one-off. Uh, bounce one-off is the option. Schellenberger continues, he says, recall now from Twitter Files 2 by Barry Weiss, okay, which you talked about in the last episode, that according to Twitter staff, we control visibility quite a bit and we control the amplification of your content quite a bit and normal people do not know how much we do. Well, I know. I've been shadow banned for years. Michael Schellenberger continues, Twitter employees recognize the difference between their own politics and Twitter's terms of service, but they also engage in complex interpretations of content in order to stamp out prohibited tweets as a series of exchanges over the hashtag Stop the Steal reveal. He says, Yoel Roth immediately DMs a colleague to ask that they add Stop the Steal and a QAnon conspiracy term, Kraken, K-R-A-K-E-N, to a blacklist of terms to be deamplified. Roth's colleague objects that blacklisting Stop the Steal risks deamplifying counterspeech that validates the election. Oh, okay. Indeed, Yoel Roth's colleague notes, a quick search of, of top Stop the Steal tweets and their counter-speech. In other words, people who are arguing with the Stop the Steal folks. But they quickly come up with a solution. Deamplify accounts with Stop the Steal in the name or profile since those are not affiliated with counter-speech. Schellenberger says, but it turns out that even blacklisting Kraken is less straightforward than they thought. That's because Kraken, in addition to being a QAnon conspiracy theory based on the mythical Norwegian sea monster, is also the name of a cryptocurrency exchange and was thus allow-listed instead of delisted. Employees struggle with whether to punish users who share screenshots of Trump's deleted January 6th tweets. One of them says... We should bounce these tweets with a strike given the screenshot violates the policy. Another one says they're criticizing Trump, so I'm a bit hesitant with applying strike to this user. Schellenberger continues, what if a user dislikes Trump and objects to Twitter censorship? The tweet still gets deleted. But since the intention is not to deny the election result, no punishing strike is applied. They say if there are instances where the intent is unclear, please feel free to raise. 
And he's got a bunch of screenshots. Schellenberger continues, Around noon, January 8th, a confused senior executive in advertising sales sends a DM to Roth. Sales executive says, Jack says, we will permanently suspend Trump if our policies are violated after a 12-hour account lock. What policies is Jack talking about? Yoel Roth responds, any policy violation. Schellenberger says what happens next is essential to understanding how Twitter justified banning Trump. The sales exec said, are we dropping the public interest policy now? Six hours later, Yoel Roth Roth responded, saying in this specific case, we're changing our public interest approach for his account. Now, the ad executive is referring to Twitter's policy of public interest exceptions, which allows the content of elected officials, even if it violates Twitter rules, if it directly contributes to understanding or discussion of a matter of public concern. Yoel Roth pushes for a permanent suspension of U.S. Representative Matt Gates of Northwest Florida, even though it doesn't quite fit anywhere. Duh. Yoel Roth actually says, duh. It's a kind of test case for the rationale for banning Trump. He says, I'm trying to talk Twitter's safety team into removal of Matt Gates as a conspiracy that incites violence. Around 2.30 on the afternoon of Friday, January 8th, 2021, communications executives DM Yoel Roth to say they don't want to make a big deal of the QAnon ban to the media because they fear if we push this, it looks like we're trying to offer up something in place of the thing everyone wants, meaning a ban of Trump. That evening, a Twitter engineer DMs Joel Roth to say, I feel a lot of debates around exceptions stem from the fact that Trump's account is not technically different from anybody else and yet treated differently due to his personal status without corresponding Twitter rules. In other words, we're just making it up as we're going along. We're not actually getting him for violating specific rules. Yoel Roth's response hints at how Twitter would justify deviating from its long-standing policy. He says, to put a different spin on it, policy is one part of the system of how Twitter works. We ran into the world changing faster than we were able to either adapt the product or the policy. The evening of January 7th, the same junior employee who expressed an unpopular opinion about ad hoc decisions that don't appear rooted in policy speaks up one last time before the end of the day. So we've got uh, a screenshot. Earlier that day, the employee wrote, my, con- my concern is specifically surrounding the unarticulated logic of the decision by Facebook. That space fills with the idea, conspiracy theory, that all Internet moguls sit around like kings casually deciding what people can and cannot see. Wow. The employee notes later in the day, and Will Oremus noticed the inconsistency too, 
linking to an article for one zero at Medium called Facebook Shucked Its Own Rulebook to Ban Trump. And I guess Will Oremus is the uh yeah, is the guy that wrote the article over at one zero dot medium dot com. Fascinating. Michael Schellenberger continues quoting the article by Will Oremus, who says the underlying problem is that the dominant platforms have always been loath to own up to their subjectivity because it highlights the extraordinary, unfettered power they wield over the global public square and places the responsibility for that power on their own shoulders. So they hide behind an ever-changing rulebook, alternately pointing to it when it's convenient and shoving it under the nearest rug when it isn't convenient. He continues, Facebook's suspension of Trump now puts Twitter in an awkward position. If Trump does indeed return to Twitter, the pressure on Twitter will ramp up to find a pretext of which to ban him as well. Michael Schellenberger says, indeed, and as Barry Weiss will show tomorrow, that's exactly what happened. So then, Barry Weiss herself comes out with uh, uh, Twitter Files Part 5, but it wasn't tomorrow, which would have been Sunday. It was actually right around lunchtime. 106 p.m. Eastern on Monday, December 12th. And so we have that for you next. But first, I am delighted to tell you about the best kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses, allergies? Do you experience vertigo, dizziness? How about problems with your blood sugar? Maybe psoriasis, migraines. Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you're not in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces, so it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column could get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and never came back. For that matter, the migraines went away and never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. 501-279-2009 for free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. Or just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Now, if you're outside of Arkansas, go to that website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the button that says, Find a doctor near you. 
and I sure hope you can. All right, I got to tell you about Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veterans and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. And i got to tell you, I'm saving serious money since I joined Patriot Mobile. Now, when you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. All you have to do is go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Also, if you're a conservative-owned business, Tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas? Patriot Mobile now offers competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. Switch to Patriot Mobile Business. You can learn more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Again, make sure to use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. That's business dot patriotmobile dot com or call four six nine freedom. All right, let's take a look at the Twitter files part five, which dropped Monday, December twelfth, from Barry Weiss. This talks about the removal of Trump from Twitter. And by the way, there is an elephant in the living room that I'm going to get to after we get through the last part, part five of the Twitter files that are out as of right now. Barry Weiss says, On the morning of January 8th, President Donald Trump, with one remaining strike before being at risk of permanent suspension from Twitter, tweets twice. 6.46 a.m., he tweets the 75 million Great American patriots who voted for me, America first, and make America great again will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape, or form. 7.44 a.m., he tweets, To all of those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. Barry Weiss says, For years, Twitter had resisted calls, both internal and external, to ban Trump on the grounds of blocking a world leader from the platform or removing their controversial tweets would hide important information that people should be able to see and debate. The company wrote in 2019, Our mission is to, is to provide a forum that enables people to be informed and to engage their leaders directly. Twitter's aim was to protect the public's right to hear from their leaders 
and hold them to account. But after January 6, 2021, as Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger have documented, pressure grew both inside and outside of Twitter to ban Trump. Now, there were dissenters inside Trump. One employee said on January 7th, maybe because I am from China, I deeply understand how censorship can destroy the public conversation. Wow, that's strong. She says, but voices like that one appear to have been a distinct minority within the company. Across the Slack channels, many Twitter employees were upset that Trump hadn't been banned earlier. After January 6th, Twitter employees organized to demand their employer ban Trump. One Twitter employee said, there is a lot of employee advocacy happening. And they got screenshots. Another staffer said, we have to do the right thing and ban this account. Still another said, it's pretty obvious. He's going to try to thread the needle of incitement without violating the rules. In the early afternoon of January 8th, the Washington Post published an open letter signed by over 300 Twitter employees to CEO Jack Dorsey demanding Trump's ban. It said, we must examine Twitter's complicity in what President-elect Biden has rightly termed insurrection. Yeah, right. But the Twitter staff assigned to evaluate tweets quickly concluded that Trump had not violated Twitter's policies. One staffer wrote, I think we'd have a hard time saying this is incitement. The quote continues, it's pretty clear he's saying the American patriots are the ones who voted for him and not the terrorists. We can call them that, right, from Wednesday. Terrorists. If there are any terrorists at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, they were the feds. They were embedded with the other folks. But anyway, another staffer agreed, saying, don't see the incitement angle here. Anika Navaroli, a Twitter policy official, wrote, I also am not seeing clear or coded incitement in the tweet from Donald Trump. She says, I'll respond in the elections channel and say that our team has assessed and found no violations. Oh, V-I-O-S, that's short for violations. Okay, for the the Trump one. She does just that. She says, as an FYI, safety has assessed the DJT tweet using his initials, above and determined that there is no violation of our policies at this time. Later, Navaroli would testify to the House January 6th committee, saying, For months I have been begging and anticipating and attempting to raise the reality that if nothing, if we made no intervention into what I saw occurring, people were going to die. Oh, really? So Twitter caused the, uh, the cop to murder Ashley Babin on the Capitol building that day. Huh. Who knew? Next, Twitter's safety team decides that Trump's 7.44 a.m. Eastern Time tweet is also not in violation. They are unequivocal. They said it's clear that it's no violation. It's just to say he's not attending the inauguration. Barry Weiss continues saying, to understand Twitter's decision to ban Trump, we must consider how Twitter deals with other heads of state 
and political leaders, including in Iran, Nigeria, and Ethiopia. June 2018, Iran's Ayatollah Ali Khamenei tweeted out, Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible, and it will happen. Twitter neither deleted the tweet nor banned the Ayatollah. October 2020, the former Malaysian prime minister said it was a right for Muslims to kill millions of French people. Twitter deleted his tweet for glorifying violence, but he remains on the platform. The tweet below was taken from the Wayback Machine. Yeah, and it's October 29th, 2020. He says, Muslims have a right to be angry and to kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past. Oh, that's great. What what a great guy. Muhammadu Buhari, president of Nigeria, incited violence against pro-Biafra groups. He wrote, those of us in the fields for 30 months who went through the war will treat them in the language they understand. Twitter deleted the tweet but did not ban the president of Nigeria. October 2021, Twitter allowed Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed to call on citizens to take up arms against the Tigray region. Twitter allowed the tweet to remain up and did not ban, did not ban the Prime Minister. In early February 2021, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government threatened to arrest Twitter employees in India and to incarcerate them for up to seven years after they restored hundreds of accounts that had been critical of him. Twitter did not ban Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. But Twitter executives did ban Trump, even though key staffers said Trump had not incited violence, not even in a coded way. In other words, he wasn't even sending a dog whistle. Less than 90 minutes after Twitter employees had determined that Trump's tweets were not in violation of Twitter policy, Vijay Agad, Twitter's head of legal policy and trust, asked whether it could, in fact, be coded incitement to further violence. A few minutes later, Twitter employees on the scaled enforcement team suggested that Trump's tweet may have violated Twitter's glorification of violence policy if you interpreted the phrase American patriots to refer to the rioters. Oh, you mean the feds? Things escalate from there. Members of that team came to view him as the leader of a terrorist group responsible for violence slash deaths comparable to the shooter at Christchurch, New Zealand, or Hitler, and on that basis and on the totality of his tweets, he should be deplatformed. Well, now, wait a minute. Only four people were killed January 6, 2021, at the Capitol, and they were all killed by the government. No Trump supporters killed anybody. No cops were killed that day. Barry Weiss says two hours later, Twitter executives host a 30-minute all-staff meeting. Jack Dorsey and Vijay Agad answer staff questions as to why Trump wasn't banned yet, but they make some employees angrier. Yoel Roth relayed to a colleague multiple tweets, Twitter employees, have quoted the banality of evil, suggesting that people implementing our policies are like Nazis just following orders. Oh, my goodness. 
Dorsey requested simpler language to explain Trump's suspension. Yoel Roth wrote, God help us, this makes me think he wants to share it publicly. One hour later, Twitter announces Trump's permanent suspension due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Many at Twitter were ecstatic. And she has uh, screenshots of people celebrating at Twitter. Many were also congratulatory. Big props to whoever in trust and safety is sitting there whack-a-moling these Trump accounts. By the next day, employees expressed eagerness to tackle medical misinformation as soon as possible. Oh, people telling the truth about about the China virus, the, the Wu flu. You can't have that. Another employee wrote, For the longest time, Twitter's stance was that we aren't the arbiter of truth, which I respected but never gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling. But Twitter's COO, Parag Agrawal, who would later succeed Jack Dorsey as CEO, told head of security Mudge Zatko, I think a few of us should brainstorm the ripple effects of Trump's ban. Agrawal added, Centralized content moderation, in my opinion, has reached a breaking point now. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree with somebody at Twitter. How about that? Outside the U.S., Twitter's decision to ban Trump raised alarms, including with French President Emmanuel Macron, German Prime Minister Angela Merkel, and Mexico's President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Macron told an audience he didn't want to live in a democracy where the key decisions were made by private players. He said, I want it to be decided by a law voted by your representative or by regulation governance democratically discussed and approved by Democratic leaders. Angela Merkel's spokesperson called Twitter's decision to ban Trump from its platform problematic and added that the freedom of opinion is of elementary significance. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny criticized the ban as an unacceptable act of censorship. Now, whether you agree with Navalny and Macron or the executives at Twitter, Barry Weiss says, we hope this latest installment of the Twitter files gave you insight into that unprecedented decision. She says, from the outset, our goal in investigating the story was to discover and document the steps leading up to the banning of Trump and to put that choice into context. Ultimately, the concerns about Twitter's efforts to censor news about Hunter Biden's laptop, blacklist disfavored views, and ban a president aren't about the past choices of executives in a social media company. They're about the power of a handful of people at a private company to influence the public discourse and democracy. She says this was reported by Michael Schellenberger, Isaac Grafstein, Snoozy Weiss, Olivia Rheingold, uh, Peter Zavodnik, Nellie Bowles, and, of course, Matt Taibbi. She says, follow all our work at the Free Press, which is... T-H-E-F-P, on Twitter. 
And she invites you to please click here to subscribe to the free press where you can continue reading and supporting independent journalism. So now here's the elephant in the living room. I mean, we're, we're getting all these Twitter executives out there for stuff they're doing, which violated Twitter terms of service, if not the actual law may have violated the law too. But we're not getting any names of people in the Intel community that were pushing the folks at Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else, Google, to to do this to Trump, to do this to America. So the question is, is Elon Musk going to get those records out there? Or is this just going to be like... Uh, William Barr and John Durham, and we just go after the small fish. Just a thought, just a question. Julie Kelly writes over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, article entitled, Now What? Subtitled, Let's Hope House Republicans Can Catch a Really Potent Case of the Courage Elon Musk is Demonstrating and Exposing the Collusion Between Big Tech and the Deep State and Soon, she says, the release of the Twitter files, for the most part, confirms what Donald Trump and his supporters knew in 2020. Big tech drastically suppressed information damaging to Joe Biden, his son's overseas financial dealings, and the Democrat Party's plans to ensure Biden's victory with an unprecedented flood of mail-in ballots before Election Day. The series of posts by independent journalists Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, and Barry Weiss reveal internal communications between top executives as they contorted company policy on the fly to accommodate the Democrats' political motives. Taibbi kicked off the party on December 2nd with a series of tweets detailing how Twitter banned the New York Post's reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop and continued to defend the move even after some company honchos admitted it was indefensible. One former Twitter employee said, By this point, everyone knew this was blanked. But the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to err. That's what Matt Taibbi said while posting screenshots of chat messages between decision makers. Barry Weiss followed up by outlining Twitter's shadow banning, a practice former CEO Jack Dorsey repeatedly denied. But they had shadow banning aimed at conservative influencers such as Dan Bongino and Charlie Kirk in twenty twenty, in the year 2020. Well, they shadow banned me too. I, I got too much evidence of that. This built up to a fever pitch that climaxed on January 6, 2021, when a four-hour disturbance finally gave Twitter and other social media behemoths, or behemoths as the case may be, the excuse they have been hoping for to fulfill big tech's dream of permanently deplatforming the president. Matt Taibbi explained the bulk of the internal debate leading to Trump's ban took place in those three January days, referring to January 6th, 7th, and 8th, the day Trump was banned. He said, however, the intellectual framework was laid in the months preceding the Capitol riots, The pressure campaign to boot Trump, Schellenberger further disclosed, came from both internal and external forces, including former First Lady Michelle Obama, tech journalist Kara Swisher, 
Kara Swisher, the uh, Anti-Defamation League, and high-tech venture capitalist Chris Saka. Members of Twitter's scaled enforcement team employees given the task of excavating any policy nugget to rationalize the pending ban, viewed Trump as the leader of a terrorist group responsible for violence slash deaths comparable to the shooter at Christchurch, New Zealand, or Hitler. That was according to an internal post ran on January 8th. A few hours later, Twitter announced the decision to spend Trump's account permanently. Twitter employees cheered. At least 70,000 Trump-supporting accounts were also were purged in the days following. While outrageous and clearly hostile to the spirit of political free speech in America, the question of whether the company engaged in illegal conduct remains an open one. Corporations are forbidden from directly donating to political campaigns. By quashing Hunter Biden laptop coverage as millions of Americans were voting for president, Big Tech essentially contributed hundreds of millions of dollars, perhaps more, in in in-kind public relations services to the Biden campaign and the Democrat National Committee. But the far more egregious aspect, and one with greater legal standing in terms of potential criminality, are the revelations that the FBI engaged with big tech executives on a routine basis to, to do the Biden family's bidding in advance of the bombshell coverage in the Washington Post and elsewhere. On December 9th, Matt Taibbi wrote, We'll show you what hasn't been revealed. The erosion of standards within the company in months before January 6th, decisions by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies, and more against the backdrop of ongoing, documented interaction with federal agencies. This post about the Hunter Biden laptop situation shows Twitter's former safety chief, Yoel Roth, not only met weekly with the FBI and Homeland Security, but also with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, referring to the government's demand that social media companies enforce hacked materials policies as a ruse to remove any content related to the Hunter Biden laptop. Unfounded claims made by FBI Director Christopher Wray in the fall of 2020 that malign foreign actors planned to sabotage the Democrat nominee for president again served only to buttress the agency's efforts to bury the laptop story. It was 2016 on steroids. Baseless warnings of foreign election interference promoted by a hyper-partisan national security apparatus to undermine Trump's campaign. The result was a wide-ranging conspiracy to oust the sitting president of the United States considered an enemy of the same national security apparatus by protecting his opponent, a longtime ally, in a tight election. Further, thanks to the civil lawsuit filed by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, more evidence of how the two interests collaborated before the 2020 election is coming to light. The FBI didn't just encourage big tech companies to restrict access to the laptop reporting, but subtly threatened to pursue legal action if they didn't. And those involved knew what they were doing was wrong. That's why Elvis Chan, one of the Bureau's conduits to Silicon Valley, admitted many conversations were conducted on Signal, an encrypted chat application which allows for disappearing messages. Elvis Chan told investigators during his court-ordered deposition only the Signal information from the 2020 San Francisco command post was saved. Well, isn't that convenient? Elvis Chan, in addition to his routine contact with Twitter, also held meetings with executives at Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, 
Wikimedia Foundation, and Reddit. So what now? House Republicans could do nothing else but investigate one corrupt government scandal after another for the next two years. The struggle is prioritizing the many inquiries incoming House committee chairmen have promised to pursue. This emerging scandal, however, must be at the top of the list. Republicans must request and receive all records from the FBI, Department of Justice, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence related to interactions with big tech, the Biden campaign, and Democrat Party leaders. The inquiry should begin with departing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, whose San Francisco district includes many large technology companies, to unearth evidence of the conspiracy. Now, officials like Chan and his supervisors must testify publicly so the American people can watch them squirm. Investigate the possibility of perjury charges against Jack Dorsey and others who testified under oath that social media platforms applied an even hand in 2020. And statewide GOP officials should comb through every state law to do what Democrats continue to do with a vengeance and a great success. Find any arcane ancient statute to sue or prosecute the people responsible. The Republican National Committee should pursue legal action for the unlawful campaign contributions made by big tech to the Biden presidential campaign. And it might not hurt to sue the Biden campaign for failing to report large corporate donations too. Ditto for Republican candidates and elected officials deplatformed or suppressed in the 2020 and 2022 elections. Elon Musk's one-man crusade to expose the inner workings of the technology giant he now owns is admirable at a time when the level of courage needed to confront the massive beast of government, Silicon Valley, the Biden regime, and traditional media is frighteningly low. Courage, as Billy Graham once said, is contagious. Let's hope House Republicans can catch a really potent case of it and soon. Okay, that is a great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness amgreatness.com, and her article, the most recent one, is entitled, Now What? Well, I know now what. It's time to say hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. All right. Today's tweet of the day is a thread. It's, it's several tweets. And it's from a fellow named Eric Reed who I just started following on Twitter within the last 24 hours when I saw what he had put out there. He said, do you want to be free from anxiety and panic attacks in your life? By the grace of God, after years of dealing with them, I found freedom. Here's what I did and still have to do. Number one, move from head knowledge to heart knowledge of God's character. 
It's easy for us to affirm God's sovereignty or wisdom, but do we truly understand what it means and its, implica- and its implications for our lives? A deep study into the attributes of God moves us into trust. The four attributes that transformed my anxious heart, sovereignty, he's in control, wisdom, his plans are wise, faithfulness, he fulfills his promises, and love, everything filters through his love for me. Number two, learn to take thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. He says, our thoughts can be dangerous. This is why we're told to take them captive in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Not every thought you have should be free to roam at its own leisure. Taking thoughts captive means I capture them and examine them to ensure they're aligned with the truth of God. Those that aren't must be told to take a hike. The battle for the mind is a battle for truth. Number three, preach the promises of God to your heart. We can't stop at capturing bad thoughts. We have to move on to preaching truth to our hearts and minds. How? I always preached God's attributes to myself, saying something like, Eric, God is sovereign over everything. Don't fear tomorrow. If God allows something, it always will be according to his wisdom. He'll be faithful to sustain you. He loves me. I can say thank you to anything. Preaching the character of God to yourself is how you replace negative thoughts with the truth. It doesn't magically guarantee good results. It reminds me that nothing whatsoever can come to pass without his hand. You can trust that hand. Number four, develop healthy habits with diet, sleep, and exercise. Many ignore this, but we are not simply souls. We have a body. Our bodies and souls are connected. Your patterns of eating, sleeping, and exercising play a real role in your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Avoid sugars. Get up early so you can start getting to bed earlier. Get at least six to eight hours of sleep. Go for walks. Take a jog. Lift some weights. There are scientific studies done on how helpful this is for battling anxiety. Number five, have someone you can talk to, someone you can tell when you're struggling. It's hard enough to battle anxiety. It's worse if you're doing it alone. Have people who can pray for you and preach truths to your heart when you need it. He says, if you found this helpful, share this first tweet with others about do you want to be free from anxiety and panic attacks in your life. And then he offers, uh, you can subscribe to his weekly newsletter for that matter. And um, he's got a recent article on the issue of mental health. So that is Eric Reed, E-R-I-K, R-E-E-D, and he's over Twitter, and he just puts out a lot of great stuff. I just discovered him within the last 24 hours, but I'm certainly following him now. That is our tweet of the day, brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. All right, then. You've been listening to Episode 302 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. 
Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Wow, that's the way it is. Wednesday, December 14th, 2022.